Hi, thanks for joining this week's podcast with Pastor James Jones of the Divergent Church. We hope you will be blessed by the message you are about to hear. If you would like some more information about the church, please feel free to reach out via email at divergentcog at aol.com or go over and check out our website, divergentcog.com. Thanks for listening. We hope you have a blessed day. We're going to continue our series this week. I am not ashamed. We've got one more week in it next week. But this week we're going to continue on the thought that we had last week. And the idea last week was being the watchman. And we entitled it, Blood on the Doorposts or Blood on Our Hands. And that's kind of a straightforward title, but it's a straightforward message. We're called to be the watchman. We're called to have a duty, to have obligation, to be the light, to be the salt. And with the church, as we've talked about over the past couple weeks, we've talked about the church's identity and the fact that it has lost its identity in this day and age. As a matter of fact, it's tried to reinvent its identity in this day and age. And that's not necessary. The identity was given to us by Jesus Christ. I think His plan is good enough. We don't need to reinvent it. We don't need to change it. We don't need to alter it. But instead what we need to do is get back to it and take a look at it. And one of the things we looked at was how each of us finding our identity in Christ helps define the identity of the church because guess what the church is made of? Us. So as we find our identity, then the church finds its identity as well. So this morning we're going to continue on this thought of I am not ashamed of the gospel. You see, a lot of times we want to change the identity because we're ashamed of the gospel. Well, we might not draw a crowd if we hurt somebody's feelings, please hurt my feelings. Don't let me go to hell. Don't worry about whether I like you or not. Worry about eternity because that's what we were called to do. Amen? We're going to look in Ezekiel chapter 33 this morning. We're actually going to do another uh, text as well. Now we're going to do Ezekiel 33, 1 through 11. We read this last week. But we're also going to read Ezekiel 34, 1 through 10. We're going to start with Ezekiel 33 this morning. And again, this is the same text we read last week, but it bears mentioning, re-mentioning and revisiting because it is a strong, strong command from God. Starting in verse 1 of Ezekiel 33, it says this, Again the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people, and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land... And the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman. When he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself, but he who takes warning will save his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Church, we're the watchmen. Verse 7, so you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. 
When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked man from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked man to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall still die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Therefore you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, and we pine away in them, how can we then live? So say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, watch this, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his evil way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? This was a message to the people of God, the children of God. Understand, we are now the children of God as well, grafted into the vine, made joint heirs with Christ Jesus. So this message is as much to us as it was to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. The point, the theme, the soberness. We have the call to be the watchman. Why? Why are we called to be the watchman? Because we have the words of truth. I've told you before, I have patience for the world when they do a lot of foolish things about God. Well, you can't believe God, or well, you can't do this, or well, I don't trust the Bible, or well, or even div divisive things, or even things that are just plain out sin and living in sin. But I don't have as much patience inside the church because we know better. And that means for myself as well. That's not I stand up on a stage and look down at everybody and say, you should be like me. You know better than that. But when we have the truth, and when we know the truth, and when we don't live the truth, we're like the watchman on the wall who says, eh, oh well. Yeah, I know that they're lost in sin. I know there's a better way. But if I tell them they're lost in sin, they might get mad at me. Well, I don't want that. I want to be popular. Well, if I tell them they're wrong and there's a better way, they're going to get upset and call me names and accuse me of things I haven't done. So be it. It's our job to warn. It's our job to declare the truth. It's our job to say there is life. There is a way to the Father, and it's one way. It's not always. It's Jesus Christ. It's not as though I'll be a good enough person and I'll get to heaven. No, you will not. I promise you, you will not. There is a lot of people who are convinced there's this scale, and if I do enough good stuff that outweighs the bad stuff, God will be like, mm, okay, come on in. A lot of people have that theology. That's the way it is. If my good stuff outweighs my bad stuff, let me ask you this. Do you think the thief on the cross had time to do enough good stuff to get into heaven? But there on the cross, in the midst of his sin, right in his sin, in the penalty of his sin, he looks to Jesus and says, remember me when you get, he cried out to Jesus, remember me when you get to your father's kingdom. Because of his belief, he was saved. Well, wait a second. But he was a sinner and he didn't. Because of his belief, he was saved. He didn't have a chance to do anything. He didn't have the chance to work his way into heaven. But he did have the chance to believe. 
Church, you and I have been given the chance to believe. And we've been given the words of truth. And we've been given the light. And we've been made into the salt to preserve, to give flavor. How many of you know you're supposed to give flavor to the atmosphere when you walk in the room? So some of y'all are convinced that already, <laughs> Pastor, I give the flavor. No, no. But we are to change the atmosphere of the room when you walk in. And I don't mean boisterously or flamboyantly or coming in and all eyes on me. I mean spiritually you walk into the room and things change. And, and I've experienced that time and time in my life and I've watched how other people do it. And I've had the, the distinct privilege to be able to witness it happen walking into a room. We, I could give you a couple different scenarios. I remember one just popped into my mind right now. My Aunt Marie, we walked in, and they said, you know, she had had a stroke. She was going to be a vegetable the rest of her life, never get out of the hospital, probably die. And, and we hadn't been there yet. And as soon as we walked into the room, I'm kidding you not, I, I was 17 years old maybe. As soon as we walked into the hospital room, I felt something. And I said, oh, man, she's going to be okay. And my mom was there, and my Aunt Marie's neighbor was there. And we walked in, and we went to pray. And before we prayed, I was like, and it wasn't an arrogance. It wasn't a, oh, I'm going to do this. It was a, God just told me this is going to be okay. And I said, let's walk over. And we walked over, and we prayed. And church, she spent the next couple years living in her right mind, in her own home, taking care of herself. Because God did something. But it was in that room, I just felt the presence change, the atmosphere change. And I've seen it before when others have walked into a room. I've seen it on job sites, coming to a job site. Have you ever been somewhere and you didn't say anything? You didn't do anything. People just started feeling, I mean, they would do something and look at, oh, sorry about that. You ever experienced that at all? I can't be the only one. And it's kind of like you feel bad because you're like, I'm not judging you. It's okay. But there's something affecting them because you walked into the room and you are an agent of the Lord God Almighty. You are an agent of Jesus Christ. You carry the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit enters the room, the Holy Spirit will do what you and I cannot do and will judge people of their sin and will quicken them to their sin. And when they do something, they look at you and I because they think we're the source. Oh, sorry about that. No, no, no. I'm not the source. I didn't do it. But the next time that happens, pay attention. Look at what God's doing there. Now, don't go crazy with that authority. Don't go, yeah, that's right, you're sorry. No, don't do that. <laughs> but see what it is God's doing. There's something happening. I mean, we've been in places where somebody's doing something. Like I say, on construction sites, I'll be there. And, and, and I had a guy come to me and, oh, gosh, I'm trying to think. Uh, there's like 100 examples going through my mind, but I'm trying to think of a really good one. Where One where we were at Children's Hospital and the guy's in there. and No, best one was at uh, Dennis Kitchen and Bath in Mount Airy. I was working there. And this guy was in there, and uh, we, I was working in what they called the spray pit. I was laminating everything. And so I was over there laminating, and he was coming in, kind of bouncing around. He was my helper for a while. And he's over there, and he's going on and talking about this and talking about that. And, going, and I never said a word, church. I'm just sitting there doing my job. And he was like, man, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't be talking like this. I said, huh? He goes, I don't know. I said, what do you mean you don't know? He goes, I, I shouldn't be talking like this. I, 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 should, I was like, oh, he had no idea who I was. Didn't even know my name yet. And I was like, oh, no. Okay, yeah, that's fine if you don't, you know. And he was like, well, you know, I never, I, I, so he just felt awkward. So he goes over to the next day, next day. Lunchtime he comes over, he goes, I didn't know you were, at the time, was I, where were we? We were in Baltimore. I, at the time I was, I was pastoring. He goes, I didn't know you were a pastor. And I said, yeah. You know, oh, I had no idea. Man, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said this and I shouldn't have, oh. I, was, I said, did I say anything to you? He's like, well, no. I said, 
And, and I wasn't quite old enough to capitalize on this experience the way I should have, the way I could have. And I said, well, you know, that's okay. And so he came over and worked with me one time. And he was like, we're working. He's like, man, it's weird. What? Every time I get around you, I feel bad. I'm like, it wasn't a compliment. I was like, wait, what did I do? He was like, no, I just feel like I need to get right. And I was like, well, I can promise you, if you feel something inside you, some kind of conviction, it ain't me. It's definitely God. And if I were you, I'd, I'd, I'd do something about it. Submit to it. Humble yourself. Surrender to it. What is it God's saying to you right now? Church, you and I have those opportunities all the time. That's what a watchman does. You know, we talked about it last week. A watchman is ever vigilant. They're, 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 they're always ready. And, and that's a part of it, being prayed up when you go out. You know, being prayed up, being ready no matter where you go. Because there will be things that will happen, and if we're not careful, we'll miss it. But they might be opportunities to change somebody's eternity. They might be opportunities to really minister to somebody. And say, you know what, if, if God's doing something to you here, maybe we should explore it. Maybe, maybe we should pray about it. Let's see what happens. So we're the watchmen, and we've been called to be the watchmen for a purpose. But I want to go over here to Ezekiel 34 before we go much farther. And the first 10 verses of Ezekiel 34. Now, this is shortly after this warning and this, hey, you're, you're the watchman. You're the one that's going to do this. Now we get to 34, and we look at something that's very... Very important to look at, and especially in our day and age and what we see happening around us in the church. Starting in verse 1, it says this, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flock? Now, I want you to understand here, he's not talking to just shepherds of sheep. He's talking to the religious leaders, the ones who are supposed to be shepherding the people. Or in our day, we'd call them pastors or teachers or, or whatever you want to call them, deacons or overseers or so forth. But he's talking to the shepherds, the pastors here, the ones that are supposed to be caring for and feeding the sheep. Should not the shepherd feed the flocks? Verse 3, you eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. Man. Verse 4, the weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with force and cruelty, you have ruled them. They're supposed to be serving them. Verse 5. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Man, that's a hard thought right there. Verse 7, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves. 
and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths, that they may no longer be food for them. I don't know if you pick up on the correlation to what's happening in our world today with the church, but there is a strong correlation. So many people are lost in our own nation because of the quote-unquote church. And that's a, a sad thing to say. It's a hard thing to say, but it is a truth. We have had the shepherds who were supposed to care for the sheep, care for themselves only. I want to tread so lightly here because I don't want to seem in condemnation of any particular ministry, so to speak. <clears throat> Let me try and relate it this way. If Divergent was ever a ministry that was bringing in millions of dollars a year, you will still see me driving my Kia. I don't think I'm better than some. I'm, please receive this the way I'm saying it. It's not about putting down somebody else or what they're doing. I understand the Word of God says a worker is worth his wages. I, I get all that, but I think sometimes we take that way out of line. We really do. And if we're not careful, we could make it all about us. If we ever get to the point where that sort of thing is happening by then, that list of ministry, or we were talking about cradle to the grave, that stuff's going to start popping up. There's going to be investing into crisis pregnancy and daycare and senior care and everything possible, community health service and uh, a school, all the way from pre-K all the way into seminary. It's not going to invest into a person or to somebody's needs or wants. To the needs, yes, but not to somebody's wants. And again, please receive this for what I'm saying. I'm trying hard here because I don't want somebody to say, oh, that's my favorite pastor on TV. There are good preachers on TV. There are good preachers that are not on TV. There are good preachers preaching in caves right now in China and in the Middle East. They're everywhere. But there are also those who aren't feeding the sheep, who in like manner have caused the sheep of God to be scattered. Every time you and I see somebody in the world that's lost, they're gods. That's God's people. They're lost. Why are they lost? Well, it could be a hundred different reasons. But if the reason ever points back to the church caused them to be lost, that's a bad thing. You see, God will provide for His church. Understand that. God is the one who will preserve His church through dark times, through and beyond our own failures even. There will always be a remnant. What did Jesus say? He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So understand, the church isn't going to just disappear and die off and fall off. God will care for His church, but He will do it in a way that some people may not like. Even the eternal, internal attacks of Satan. See, if we don't stand, who will? If we don't stand watch, who's going to do it? If we don't stand on the wall and call out what the Word of God is saying and call out what the enemy is doing, who's going to do it? Yes, it's going to ruffle some feathers. Yes, it's going to upset some people. But it may very well save them from hell at the very same time. If we don't stand watch, who will do it? 
We already said that they're vigilant. The watchman is ever ready, is able to discern things. When I look around at the world today, church, I see desperate moves of the enemy. I mean desperate moves of the enemy. Sin becoming more and more blatant. Drawing a line and saying, okay, let's test the waters. Let's see how far people are really lost. Let's see how far I've led them away is what Satan is saying. And at the same time, as he's doing that, he's saying, let's see how angry I've made the people who are supposed to be saving them. Let's see if I can get them to push them across the line. Let's see if I can get them to push them away. You see, we fight a clever enemy, but we serve an awesome God. The attack on the church around the world There are more martyrs in our age than there has ever been in the history of the world. Ever. I don't know if you've been following it all, but some of the stuff I've seen in the past couple weeks, in the past couple weeks, in just one small area of Africa, over 370 people have lost their lives because they're Christian. And that's just in the past couple weeks, and that's just in one small area. It's everywhere. Right now in China, churches are being burned down and destroyed. In China, we're not talking about, you know, a third world nation or somewhere out in the wilderness. We're talking about a developed nation. And I know we say that can never happen here. Eh, Be careful, church. If we get soft, and I'm not saying if we don't protest, if we don't, I'm saying if we get soft. You know, the church has grown best under persecution. Seems that way, doesn't it? I mean, it grew big time in the book of Acts throughout the early church. And they knew coming to Christ would cost them their life. And not just a simple death, but have them thrown into an arena with lions and people cheering as lions ate them. And you may look at that and say, that can't happen in our society. I beg to differ. We're close to that right now in our own nation. Now, I'm not saying everybody. I'm saying there are people within our own country right now that would watch that and cheer, watching somebody being mauled and destroyed by an animal. That's the influence of sin. That's the influence of Satan. And if somebody doesn't stand up and call it out, who will do it? If nobody calls it out, we'll keep drifting that way. We'll keep going that way. The attack on the church around the world is very real. The attack here is very different. You see, around the world, especially in poverty-stricken areas, Satan knows I can't attack the church by puffing up one or two people in it. And turning them into a hypocrite, I gotta kill them. But if I attack the church in a place where the people are so blessed that there's no spiritual authority, there's no spiritual power, all there is is some ideology, maybe some psychology, and a whole lot of push of, hey, be like me. And that's what he does to the church in America. And that's why people don't want anything to do with the church in America. The more people I see, I've seen so many people in the past couple years when I talk about church and we're planting church, oh yeah, church isn't really my thing. And that's where we came up with the idea, well, this is a church for people who don't go to church. Just kind of came out. I said, well, you know what, if you don't go to church, you should come over with us. Didn't you say you were, yeah, we're a church. We're a church for people who don't go to church. And, And it takes them a while to register. I'm like, seriously, you should check it out. It's different. And it's not like we're trying to be different. We're just literally trying to follow the Word of God. And here's the scary thing. If you try to follow the Word of God in this day and age, that makes you different. That's weird. That's scary. 
That's the day and age we live in. We're not trying. We're not like, all right, guys, let's see. What can we do different from the guy down the street? We never did that. All we did was let's follow the word of God. And that is making us so unique and so different by just chasing after him. But we're not the only ones doing it. I promise you that. The attack is much different in America, though. Infiltrating the church, attempting to destroy from the inside. We'll come back to that in a minute. We have the responsibility and the command to be the watchman. No one else is going to do it, church. And you may say, but I didn't ask for this. Well, you didn't ask for Jesus to die for you either, but he did, didn't he? And we received the benefit of it. And it is a great responsibility, but church, it is also a great privilege. It's a service for the Lord. It's not a service, you know, and... and Indirectly, while it is going to benefit the people who see right and wrong, who hear, who see the light, who hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is the benefit for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not doing this for myself. I'm not doing this for people. I'm doing it for Him. I have to keep that in mind. I have to do it for Him or I will get burned out. I will do it for the wrong reason. I will mess up along the way. But if I keep my eyes on Him, then I might save some lives on the way. No one else is going to do it, church. How can I be a watchman? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. First off, in your house. In your own home. With our kids. I, I look at the stuff that comes on TV and I, I see the subtleties. And, and I've got to the point, I used to tell my kids, you can't watch. I mean, it was basically like, you can't watch anything. We didn't let them watch nothing. I mean... I, Malachi and Tia were like so sheltered. I think I've told you this story before. We were in Baltimore. We gave them uh, iPods preloaded with music and said, this is what you listen to. I mean, they didn't fight it. They didn't argue it, but we were like that protective of our kids. We're like, man, we have got to keep the enemy out of our house, out of our kids. If they were watching something, we were watching something. And we've slacked and we've loosened up in our old age, I guess. But I've been mindful, like when my kids watch something. You know, the, thing, the good thing about Netflix is once they start watching something, you know they're going to watch that for like weeks. They're not watching anything else. I don't know why. There's like some kind of addictive behavior there maybe I better be careful of. But I just, you know. So I'm, I've noticed I'm watching different things. And I'll take a look at it. And I'll look at it. And I'm, and I'm pointing things out to them here. And there. I'm like, look at these subtleties here. Look at what they're showing. The one, of the, one of the shows they're showing now, it's actually not a... It's not a bad show yet. I need a couple more episodes before I can decide on it. But they are very much promoting teenage promiscuity. And, and, and subtly, not, not like it's in your face sort of thing. It's very subtle. It's very mixed in there. And I said, you guys see this, right? Well, Dad, I said, watch a couple more. See what happens. Two or three. And I don't even like this show, but I'm watching it because I'm trying to teach them something. This is what a watchman does. I'm watching it because I'm trying to teach Because I'm not going to say turn it off because I know what they're going to do. they got phones. They're going to go in the room and watch it, and I'm not going to know about it. So I'll sit there with him, and I'm like, see, there it is again. A couple of episodes, there it is. You see the subtleties of what Satan is doing here. Let me see if I can mess with your head just enough. And then they're messing with marriage, they're messing with family, they're messing with, and, and, and it's all subtle as it goes along. And I said, you guys see this, right? And I think they see it a little bit. They don't want to, but they do. See, being a watchman starts in our home. And I know I can't tell my kids, you're not allowed to watch anything, because like I said, they'll find a way to watch it. So I've got to figure out what is it they're watching, what is it they're doing, and I've I got to sit through it, even though I don't want to. 
But I've got to show them, look, this is what's... I'm not going to isolate them from the world. I'm going to insulate them from the world. I'm going to say, this is real. This is what's happening, but this is why it's wrong. This is why people are so messed up today, and they feel like there's no hope, and they feel like there's no future, because they're investing in these things. They're being told by Satan, this is it. And then when it falls flat, they just, oh, there is no hope. I did it wrong, or something's wrong with me, or I'm damaged, or... So it starts in the home. What's happening in the world around us? Our kids see that as well. They need to hear from us. We're going to need discernment. A watchman has to have discernment. A watchman has to see what the enemy's up to. If we don't tell our family the truth, believe me, Satan will gladly tell them a lie. He will gladly indoctrinate them with something else. Another way that you and I are a watchman we stay true to who we are in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. Not in what I do for a living, not in my family name, not in my heritage, not in my background. I stay true to who I am in Jesus Christ, first and foremost. The first part of the good news says that I have sinned. I'm not ashamed of that. I am not ashamed of the gospel. See, the reason we entitle this series this is because too many times we're ashamed of what the gospel is. We're not going to go around and tell, hey, you're a sinner. The Bible says all of it. Now, let me preface that by saying when you introduce yourself to somebody, don't say, hey, how you doing? I know you're a sinner. My name's James. You know, don't do that. You don't, don't do it that way. But the truth of the matter is, it is okay to say we're all sinners. And somebody might take offense to that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I am too. I needed Jesus Christ just as much as anybody else needed Jesus Christ. Be the light. Be the salt. Right where you are. In your job, in your home, in your school, in your community. Be the light. Be the salt. Here's an interesting situation, an interesting scenario. Can you pray for me? I don't know if you ever get that question from atheist, agnostic, non-believer in your work, in your community, or all around you. But what happens is, because of you being true to who you are in Christ, they see you, they know you have faith, and something goes on, and they're like, hey, can you pray for me? <clears throat> Don't let them off the hook, church. Now, I'm going to explain that. But don't let them off the hook here. Don't say, oh yeah, I'll pray for you, I have faith, I'll believe. And they walk away feeling better because you're going to believe. Don't let them off the hook. Say, I'm going to pray for you, but understand this. God may have brought you to this place right now to build your belief. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you and dismiss it. When somebody comes to you, when somebody who does not believe in Jesus Christ, somebody who is not a believer, but they know, they see your lifestyle, they see your integrity, they see who you are, and they come to pray. This is what a watchman does. A watchman says, yes, I'm going to pray for you, but consider this. Maybe God is allowing this to happen to bring you to a place of belief in your life. You've just become a watchman. You've just sown seeds into somebody's life that when that prayer does get answered or when something comes through that makes sense, they're going to start looking to God because he might have brought them to that place and they didn't realize it. But you were able to point it out as a watchman. How can I? Jesus told the apostles, how can I speak? How can I say anything? 
Jesus said in Luke 21, the Spirit of God would give them the words to speak. Don't worry about when you're brought before leaders and rulers. The Spirit of God will give you the words. So how can I be a watchman? Stay prayed up. Vigilant in prayer. The, the greatest weapon the church has is prayer, and we just leave it on the shelf far too often. If you and I are prayed up, when that situation comes, we won't have to rehearse what we're going to say the Spirit is going to give you what to say. And not only is the Spirit going to give you what to say, it's going to draw those people to you saying, will you pray for me? Hey, I feel bad when I'm around you. Hey, I'm sorry I did that. Hey, I don't know why I'm apologizing to you. The Spirit of God will lead you in what to say and how to say it, to be the watchman in their life, to point something out to them, to show them something. If you stay prayed up, if you stay vigilant and ever ready, the world needs you desperately. And here's the last point about it. The world needs you, but it is not safe to be a watchman in this day and age. It's not. We have to take a stand in these days. The days are evil. And we're told to redeem the times because the days are evil. But too many will not take a stand. It's not safe, church. You know why? Because in generations past of the church, we have not been effective watchmen, and Satan's already found it to the other side of the wall. So when you're on the wall calling out the enemy, the enemy's on the inside of the wall getting angry with you and stirring up others trying to get angry with you as well. Not too dissimilar from when Pilate thought he was going to clear himself by saying, do you want Jesus or do you want Barabbas? And when he stood on that wall, the people probably should have shouted out Jesus. I mean, he's healed, he's been a teacher, he's, Barabbas has killed somebody. But inside that crowd, what happened? There were people stirring up the crowd. Tell them Barabbas. I mean, they were working through the crowd. Tell them Barabbas. Tell them Barabbas. And, and what they do? They convinced the crowd to tell them, we want Barabbas. When you are standing on the wall and you are calling out evil, there is enough evil on this side of the wall in our world that will look at people and stir up people and say, tell them they're wrong. Tell them they're lying. Tell them they hate you. Tell them they this, that. Don't let them hear the truth. It's not easy to be a watchman, church. When you stand in that place, you are a target. And we need to not be ashamed of the gospel. See, this is when we stand up to seek to save as many as possible. The Bible says this will happen. I've heard that so many times. People say, well, you know, the Bible said this is going to happen and they just sit back and do nothing. You look at the persecution of the church. You look at the things that are happening around us in the world. You look at the things that are going on that the church could and should get involved in. And people will come back with the response, well, the Bible said it's going to happen. You can't stop prophecy. The Bible did say it was going to happen. But I never, ever, ever in here see anything where God says, stop searching for my people. Stop seeking. Well, when things get tough, church, just pull it together and hold your ground and don't try and get anybody else. As a matter of fact, I, we see in this text here, and this is why I read it this week, in the 34th chapter, my sheep, in verse 6, my sheep wandered through all the mountains on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one, church, no one was seeking or searching for them. Don't tell me the Bible says it's going to happen. We just can't do anything about it. Yeah, it says it's going to happen, and that should alert us to desperation to do something about it, 
There are people who are lost, and they are his people, and they are scattered because no one is looking for them. We need to go look for them. We need to share the word. We need to be the light. We need to be the salt. And we need to do it with spiritual authority to stand up and to seek and to save as many people as possible. A watchman does not stand on the wall and see the enemy coming and then just do nothing. Well, the enemy's coming, can't do anything about it. Why warn him? Just, it's going to happen. A watchman doesn't do that. And as we said already, the enemy's already on the inside of the wall, affecting people. Defending people who don't want to be defended. Upsetting the agents of evil who have already arrived. Understand spirits and principalities are the enemy, not people. And there are spirits and principalities that are in people's head, that are behind people, just like Pilate on the wall saying, do you want Jesus or Barabbas? And when they would have shouted Jesus, they're going all through the crowd. Say Barabbas, say Barabbas. Say, this is what you really want. This is what you really want. It's not what they really wanted, but they were convinced of it. And in this world, I can promise you, there are people who are lost in sin, lost in all kinds of different manner of evil and perversion and everything else, and they don't want it. They're convinced by the enemy they want it, but they don't. They just don't know any other way because nobody's shown them. I want to wrap it up with this. We live in a prophetic time. There are signs of spiritual upheaval all around. I mean, you don't even have to look hard. Shootings, mass murderers, all of these things happening, and people wanting to affix blame. And here again, the people aren't the problem. It's the spirit behind it. Many of you know about when Rome burned and the Christians took the blame for it. They, the blame was affixed on the, they must have done it. They hated society and they hated our way and they hated the things that we did. No, they didn't. They simply stood for truth. But Satan hated the Christians so bad. He hated the people of God. He hates God and he'll do anything he can to stand against God. We're going to have to be the watchman church. I'm going to be honest, I'm ready to be called names. I already have been. I'm ready to be falsely accused of hating people. I already have been. You know what it does? It brings me back to the illustration of the other week. I was telling you about my six-year-old got mad at me and told me I was the worst dad on the face of the earth. I'm sure many of you have been in that very same spot with a child before. You're the worst person ever. I hate you. Now, 20 minutes later, they're going to crawl up on your lap and think you're just the coolest dude, whatever, you know. But you're going to have to be prepared for that because that's what the enemy is going to do. He's going to get in people's ear that he's already got a foothold in their life. And when you start speaking truth, you're going to be called names. You're going to be told, oh, you just hate me. Oh, you're just, oh, you're the worst person ever. That's the enemy speaking through them. That's not them. Do not condemn them. Do not look at them and speak back. Don't fire back at people. I used to do that when I was younger. I'm not proud of it. I'm telling you, learn from my mistake. Don't fire back at people. Let them fire away. And understand where it comes from. It comes from Satan. It comes from Satan literally standing behind them, holding them, and, and yelling these things out, hoping you'll retaliate so that you'll hurt them. That's what he's hoping for. He hides behind them. He, he, he holds them up there, and he says all this stuff and gets them to say, I hate you, and you hate me, and you're full of this, and you're a bigot, and you're a that, you're a whatever, 
hoping that I'll fire back and hurt them because he doesn't care about them. All he cares about is hurting them. And if I can hurt them, if I can say evil things about them, then they will never want something to do with the church because the church doesn't like me. The church doesn't love me. The church hates me. And that's why crazy people who picket funerals get airtime on television because Satan would love for you to say, hey, this is the church. It ain't the church. In my book, that's a cult. I'm prepared to be called names. I'm prepared, I'm prepared to be accused of all manner of things, but I am not prepared to be ashamed, church. I am not prepared to be ashamed of the gospel. I will make no apologies for it. If the gospel, if the gospel says this is sin, it's sin. But it makes me feel good. Yeah, for about five minutes or an hour. Then what happens? You feel empty. Sin is sin. And I won't apologize for the word. And I'll not be ashamed of it either. Because it was the word that called my sin out. And still calls my sin out. Causing me to walk closer to God. Causing me to want to grow. Causing me to want to develop. You see, we have two options here as watchmen. When we talked about it last week. They put the blood on the doorposts to signify who they were. It's very interesting that just about two years ago when there was this great ethnic cleansing going over, ISIS was going through and putting a mark on people's doors who were Christian, little in for Nazarene. They were followers of Jesus Christ. And once that mark was put on your door, you had 24 hours to get out of town or die. But everybody going by knew that's where the Christian is. So with you and I, are we ashamed? Are we ashamed to be marked by the world? Oh, this is a Christian. See, I'll have blood on the doorpost, but I don't want blood on my hands. I don't want to go to God and say, well, I didn't tell them this was a sin because I thought I'd offend them and they wouldn't come to my church. I didn't tell them this was wrong because then they wouldn't like me and I wouldn't be able to sell CDs. I didn't tell them this was wrong because then I wouldn't be as popular. I don't want to do that, church. I can't imagine anybody wanting to do that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, church. But we have to decide, are we going to have blood on the doorpost or are we going to have blood on our hands? Because that's our options. So let's pray.